and welcome to this week's VFX show. I am Mike Seymour and I'm joining me in the uh, venomous depths of a possible MC universe is uh, the Emmy Award winning and uh, outstanding host of the show, Jason Diamond. Jason, congratulations. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's, uh, I, have a, I have a slight glow now. Well, let me just, just, just get Matt Wallen to join us first before we uh, centre around how uh, marvellous your spectacular win was. Matt, how are you? Uh, really good, yeah, and excited to be with the Emma, Emmy Award-winning uh, Jason Diamond. <laughs> I mean, I was nominated for an Emmy. You won an Emmy. You, Matt, you had a, an Emmy anywhere? Got a couple uh, no, I, I don't want to be a member of any club that would have me as a member. The member, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> how was the party? Was it good? Did you have a good oh, the, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was amazing. Uh, I think the best part was having a nice, long, drunky chat with Dan Harmon afterwards about uh, oh. Rick and Morty. Oh, cool. Uh, but nice. yeah, it was, it was great to uh, be sitting there and hear your name called, or at least the show's name, and walk up on stage and, uh, you know look out into the audience and sort of get a feel for what that's like and then go through all the hubbub in the back of taking pictures and talking to press and whatever. Uh, it was, And then the party, which was super, super so, fun. So obviously it's great to win for anything. Obviously it's just a terrific thing to win an Emmy, right? A primetime Emmy. But you won sure. for Outstanding Children's Program for Sesame Street, which I just think is so awesome because Sesame Street is so awesome. Like who doesn't want to win with some Muppets? <laughs> Oh I mean, yeah, really? No, I mean, outstanding. They're yeah. fan- and they're a fantastic group of people. Not, I'm not just saying that. Like, it's, yeah. it's they're great to work with. The puppets and the puppeteers are amazing, and they never, it's never gotten old. Which you would think, <laughs> no, no. I mean, not you know, six, seven years we've been working with them on and off, and you would think you'd show up on a shoot and be like, oh look, there's Cookie Monster. But every time you're like, all right, we got Cookie Monster today. Yes, you know, like it's still <laughs> exciting. No, no, I totally agree. You, you are actually, just for those that haven't seen the FX Guide story, because we certainly put up um, glowing photos of you looking happy, you won as executive producer on that show. Yeah, my, my company was, um, was contracted to produce an uh, a, um, hour-long uh, special for HBO, which HBO now pays for a certain portion of programming on Sesame Street. So. Yeah. Uh, HBO, you know, they submitted for all the Emmys and stuff. I didn't even know they were submitting. And then I just got an email. Hey, you've been, we were like, oh shit, you know. Uh, and the same uh, thing happened to me. I got up one morning and Jeff, uh, who's sadly no longer with us, but Jeff, my business partner, um, <coughs> just sent me a message going, holy crap. I was like entering who'd got nominated for Emmys and your name was there. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, tell me, did you have that phenomenon that I certainly had? Is that when I got out of the car, the photographers looked at me and went, yeah, no, I don't know him and don't bother taking any photos? Or were they <laughs> well, snapping like crazy as paparazzi does? Well, no. So we were, we were at the hotel. Uh, yeah. that, uh, you know, all the people were put up in for, for at least for the HBO yep. group. And we got into a shuttle. We you know, had some drinks downstairs at a little reception. And then we went out into these big shuttles, these like big sprinter vans that you know, shuttled everyone to the, to the event. And we were in a, uh, my brother and myself and Scott, my producer, who was also nominated and, and won, and his wife, Brianna, the four of us went into a van with what turned out to be the whole hair, 
hair team for Westworld. Uh, uh, so we were in a van together for a while and we had a lot of fun. They were super cool. And then, and then, uh, we went to the event, but when we got there, I think we were on one of the later shuttles. So the, when we got up to where you would sort of break to the right to go down the red, more of the paparazzi red carpet, they were like, Oh, I'm sorry to the left, sir. No, sorry. We're closed. (laughs) This line's closed. You go to the left and we're like, okay, that's fine. Uh, but, uh. But yeah, it was, uh, and, you know, when we left the the van, we were half joking, you know, like, oh, it's a van full of winners. You know, we're all, you know, just, you know, being fun yep. and, and they won yeah, and, and, and we won. So it was like, it, it was a little premonition. It was fun. We saw them at the party later and they're like, oh my God, you guys were right. We all won. You know, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, <laughs> now, uh, Elizabeth Banks was the key voice talent, right? In your, um, she, your well, show. no, she was, she was there on set as an, as an actor, and a uh, and as a I apologize. I thought she was just bird. as a voice actress because she was a bird, no. She right? was she was there. Yeah, but she was there. Um, I think as a person initially, and then turned into a bird, or maybe they okay covered her in some other stuff in post. But but yeah, she was she was. Uh, we had her for one day. Yeah, let it be lovely, as well. lovely lady, lovely lady, professional, did awesome. Yeah, I mean it's fun, and, and look, I. I I'm going to sound like I'm saying this, but anyway, I say this to lots of people. It's terrific to be nominated because the group that, um, I mean, it's great to win, but just being nominated, obviously, for anyone that has been nominated is a, is a great honor because it's, you know, your peers sort of picking those productions that go forward as opposed to a bit more of a lottery when it comes to the actual win. But I'm so glad that you won. God, that sounds terrible. It sounds like I'm, I'm um, saying that, uh, <laughs> but I didn't mean it that way. Uh, but I talked to a lot of people that, that go up for the Oscars. And I think it's particularly the case with the Oscars, which I've certainly never been nominated for. Um, that uh, yeah, the, the nomination really sort of is the is like a real hallmark, and then the other stuff is just fun and parties and and stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the the main the main takeaway is that I am twenty five percent of the way to an egot. So that's <laughs> really <laughs> the main <laughs> focus, you know. And yeah. quite frankly, I would give your band if, a Grammy, if, by the way. Oh well, so I'll, I'll I'll take that as a as a. Uh, sort I have of, your music in my playlist. I, I appreciate that. I'll take Actually, that. Actually, let's as give a, let's give the band a plug, shall we? Okay, sure. Which well, which Go band? It's a couple of them. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm I sorry. think the one you have is Eloise and the Savoir Faire. Absolutely, that's probably the one that you're the most enamored because that's more in your in your zone. Yes, that's on Spotify. Do, that's like a do, blonde do you have another Evo kind death of metal band or something? Do. You? No, it's like a stoner rock band. That was my okay. band with my brother uh, called Puny Human. Okay. And I have another record, <laughs> another band on Spotify called The Company Band. That was me and a friend from Fireball Ministry, the singer from Clutch, and the drummer from CKY. Okay, that we definitely from, have to get you an Emmy next. I mean, a Grammy yeah. next, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Start the Easily. campaign when we met. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Matt, you're, you're um, auditioning for My Fair Lady, I understand, to try and get your... Um, your uh, Broadway nod, is that right? Uh, no, but I, I have a rubber band ball. <laughs> okay, I thought, Mike, I, thought, I thought Matt was going out for Scrooge. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, enough of all this talk. We, congratulations all round. Super, super, super happy for the Diamond Bros. Thank you very and, much. Uh, and for everything that you guys have done. And also for Sesame Street, who we less love, full stop. Hey, um, okay, so this week we're talking about something completely un Sesame Street ish, which is Venom. Uh, the possibly super successful, critically not loved film um, that has this weird, I don't know, is it 
can somebody tell me this? Is this actually in the same universe as Spider-Man, hence the rest of them, Iron Man, etc., or not? Do you know? I mean, it's supposed to be. I mean, Venom initially comes from the Secret Wars, which was in the 80s, and he's he's some something that it's a symbiote that, an alien symbiote that Spider-Man picks up on an alien planet that the Beyonder takes all the whole Marvel Universe to. Uh, and then he comes back, he becomes Spider-Man in a black suit, he has extra powers, and then it spins off to Eddie Brock and becomes a bad guy. Uh, I never read it past there. I'm assuming this is tied to some other version of Venom, uh, but it's supposed there's to no be no reference to Spider-Man in this, is no. there? Did I miss no, it? No. No. And yet that's how I understood it from the, also from the previous film where they had him yeah. being black spider. Yeah. That, that was like but, a know, whole dark Spider-Man a, version. We're in the world now where where movies get made and then just discarded and they're like, no, look over here now. We, we're going to do this this way now. You know? So you know, apparently this is supposed to be a trilogy and God, I hope it's not. If that okay. the precursor to my <laughs> review of the film. Well, I think we should get into your review of the film, but let's, let's actually start with Matt before we get to you because I think I've got an idea where you're going. Matt, what do we think of this film? Uh, well, I went and saw it with my son, and uh, we neither one of us were super excited to go see it just because we'd read some early reviews and it sounded okay. <laughs> and um, I think we both uh, were pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. That was our like reaction to each other walking out of the theater. Um, you know, there were a couple. Uh, you know, funny jokes. Um, there were a couple really cool visual effects um, in the movie. Um, I had some problems with uh, some of the, like, the plot, the the <laughs> lack of a sense of peril. Like, I never felt like there was ever anything in jeopardy or anything really at risk. Um, I thought some of the actors, um, who were really good actors, they were bad in this movie. And I don't know if that was the script or the direction or what, but um, just some actors that I really liked that I thought were just, they just seemed like they had nothing to do. Um, and then uh, it reminded me a lot in, in hindsight, after I left the theater, I was thinking a lot about Ang Lee's version of the Hulk um, and the mm. climactic battle uh, in that movie that takes place between, I believe the Hulk and... Um, Nick Nolte <laughs> uh, as some big monster right at the end of that movie. Is that, uh, that I, I think I've yeah. blotted yeah, most yeah, of that he, out of my memory. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. the big, he was the bad Hulk or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there was an aspect of this movie that really, really reminded me a lot of that film in a way that, I mean, in the end, like, you know, is it a good movie? Like, eh, I mean, I didn't really... I would have been happy to have seen this like one lazy afternoon on video, you know, on a streaming service or something. But like there were some, there was one or two really cool visual effects in it that I, that I actually thought were really interesting. Um, but the rest of the movie as a whole didn't really work for me. And I do not understand what it is about Tom Hardy and being almost illegible when he speaks on screen. I don't, I don't get it. Like, it's so weird. I, he was so hard to understand and I don't know what the accent That's was thing, that he was man. trying to do. And I don't know. It was just, it was weird. It, it seemed uh, clumsy in some ways to me. I found him easier to than I did in Batman. <laughs> in Batman, I couldn't understand a word he said. I was like, what? 
well, I feel like an old guy. You know, what? Mm-hmm. Speak up. Yeah. <laughs> I can actually understand him most of the time in this. And when he, I mean, he was mumbling in parts, but I thought that was a, you know, deliberate yeah. kind of mumble as opposed to a, a, a key line I was meant to actually listen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jason, what do you think? Um, I can't believe that this is the movie that Matt Wallen says wasn't really that bad. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> because this movie was a piece of crap. The whole thing. I was going in, went into it with the same sort of uh, like, oh yeah, I've, I, I, it's not promising, and everything anyone said to me that had seen it, like, eh, you know, uh, is exactly correct. Yeah, I mean, Tom Hardy actually did really well with a garbage script. Like he he acted, he was the best part. Like his kind of crazy, weird talking to himself, and like. I be, I at least believed that there was some that he was going through something. I didn't feel peril or anything, but he he did a good job of making me believe that in the in the Steve Martin Lily Tomlin sense of the all of me scenario, you know, he was <laughs> that he had something in there. Um but but yeah, I mean the the random, you know, Elon Musky bad guy and Michelle Williams, I'd have, I mean, she's incredible, and I don't know exactly. what the hell they did with her, but her bad wig or haircut, sorry, or whatever it was. Was Michelle and, Williams actually in this? Because the actress that I saw on screen didn't remind yes, me much of Michelle Williams. Exactly. <laughs> the, exactly. the four times nominated actress yes. that is Michelle Williams, the Willi- exactly. the actress that has that, this produced was not such, the Blue no. Valentine. Yeah. No. Know. No. Um, and. I also have not seen a first act that ham-fisted and rushed since The Departed. I mean, Manchester by the Sea (laughs) is a really good film, right? Yeah, no, she's fantastic. Where was that? Yeah, have you seen? Have you seen? She was wasted in this movie. I mean, Riz Ahmed, Riz Ahmed is fantastic. Yep. As an actor. And he just like everybody. I thought she was good in The Greatest Showman. I thought she was good in like so many stuff, right? This was. This is. This is. And I forget what other movies Ruben Fleischer's done, but this was phoned in in some capacity by some someone somewhere because the okay, direction. Now here's the thing: the, I don't understand the the director, right? Who, yeah. in one sense, has done stuff like Zombieland and stuff, but in another sense, I don't know if you noticed this, but he's actually executive producer on the new The Mule, which is a Clint Eastwood looks like it could be a Clint Eastwood classic, right? And I mean that. Oh I'm right, yeah, that that one looks good. Yeah, like he's like this a uh, ninety-year-old horticulturist vet guy caught with three million worth of cocaine, yeah. and it looks like um, Clint has made himself look horrible and just frail and just generally like whatever. Old, and so this yeah. guy, <laughs> yeah, but this guy is executive producer on that, right? So he, you don't get to. I mean, Clint Eastwood has enough clout that he can have anyone involved with any film he wants and he tends to have the same people involved all the time. So I don't see... It's not like he would have gone to Ruben and gone, hey, Ruben, do me a favour, you know, help me out with this film. So... Well, you don't know. Ruben he could have thrown money into it. Who knows? I'm not... I mean, I'm not disparaging Yeah, but I mean, again, like, do you really reckon uh, it'd be thing, hard to get Clint Eastwood to get money for a film? I, like after I mean, that's... that's that, I don't know if we can get Grand into Trainer, that and he always be comes accurate, in, but... Well, he but always comes in under it, budget. He's like a the, consummate the movie filmmaker. Had, well, that's because he only does one take. But, you know, the... the <laughs> Nevertheless, the, I'm just saying he's in there and like... There was, no, there was no style to this direction at all. 
It was like weird coverage. The thing when she gives him his ring back was like these odd like three cuts of like, hold on, we need an insert of a ring on a finger because no one will understand that. Like it was really oddly covered. And I know the DP, Maddie Libatique, who is a master mm-hmm. of cinematography. I mean, all the Aronofsky movies plus, you know, oh, Black Swan, Iron yeah. Man and Black Swan and, you know, uh, uh, Mother and and A Star Is Born. You know what I mean, like I was gonna say, he yeah, he's the DOP on A Star Is Born, which looks yeah. terrific. Yeah, and this the movie just looked kind of blah. Like I mean, and okay, I, he, and I he put that up to the, the the DOP on what? what? Well, no, I was just I was gonna have a wisecrack about Mother, which is a oh. film I don't like. Um, <laughs> well, I loved it, but anyway, the point yeah. is, is the movie had no style visually either. Which, I mean, it's. Whether or not Maddie's a great DP, that's the director's call, right? It's the director's vision that is driving the film. And um, unless the yeah. unless the DP, I mean, the, well, I'm just saying, unless the DP is just completely taking over and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do, then and there's no way to know that. But I'm just saying, the production Maddie designer, is, the production designer did Edge of Tomorrow, which I think is really good, but he also great, did great Spider-Man: movie. Homecoming. Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, the production design so. was was fine. Uh, I kind of was. It was kind of weird that that Riz Ahmed's character always wore a zipped up mock turtleneck under a suit jacket. That was a little odd to me. This big zipper dangling in his chin the whole time, every time he was on screen. But that's a wardrobe issue, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so. So I don't know what it was other than... Okay, so, so that, leave that aside for a second. We're going to get to the, to the visual effects in a second. Um, you had a problem in the first act. I didn't have so much problem in the first act. I had a huge problem, as I always do, in the third act. That, the whole on the spaceship thing mm-hmm. was so poorly written, in my opinion, because it's like um, early on, they, sort of a, they just established as the most obvious flag slash mm-hmm. neon oh, yeah. flashing light. Oh, by the way, fire, that, that's something he doesn't like. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Well, he says uh, it. That, that yeah, might I mean, become important later. Yeah, of course. You know? I mean, it was and expos- then, exposition 101. It's horrible. Yeah, so that's, there's that. And then that whole sequence at the end was like, like how did Venom survive? How was it that you could blow up? I mean, we've seen the shuttle crash and horrible things in real life. Like no one has an expectation that a major rocket is going to let you fall away from it on the blast and survive, um, especially if you you know have some problem with fire. Uh, like there's a thousand things wrong there. But the biggest thing of all, the one that I just couldn't get past is, did I fall asleep when something happened that caused the Venom guy to suddenly decide to stay on Earth? Like, like is the only reason that he decided to switch sides is because he used to be a loser and he didn't like his commander in chief? Like, are we meant to believe that like that, that one piece of verbal exposition pivots a character that eats people's heads for breakfast? <laughs> yeah, well, and also, and also I would have much rather had terrible exposition showing me the, the symbiotes like devouring another planet or somehow riding a comet into, like, why talk about, oh, yeah, we found them on a comet. Show me that shit. I don't want to see, like, San Francisco and, like, random nonsense and like character development of Tom Hardy for no reason. And, and, and could you not then have established up front that the, like you can have a pack of, of uh, wolves, right? Where the lead animal like kind of snipes and, and gnarls at the underlings 
And so there's a real sense that there's tension between the senior pack member yeah. and the other pack. Like that's a pack metaphor we could go with. But just to suddenly say, oh, by the way, um, I know I'm an incredibly evil looking character, but actually I'm a bit of a loser. And quite frankly, I never really liked my boss. Uh, so it's all the same with you. I'll just stay here on this alien planet with you. And I mean, I'll risk like my Finn, life to do that. He's basically Finn from, from, tech, from uh, uh, Force Awakens for all intents and purposes. Well, right. no, okay, let's not go there. But well, but no, I'm just Matt, saying he's he's Matt a bad needs guy to jump in here because Matt is not defending his film. Oh, well, I, I think you're you're painting <laughs> with a very broad brush. I said that I said that uh, this. We walked out of the movie, my son and I, and said that uh, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. That was that was my take on the movie. So I what didn't. you're so what you're saying then is what you thought it was going to be was a black screen the whole time. Well, I just, I thought it's a pretty low bar. (laughs) Well, no, that's what what I'm saying. Can I just for the record say I'm not that black. I'm not, I'm not that dark on it as, as much as you are, Jason. I'm sitting in the middle. I have have huge (laughs) plot problems, but I don't think it was as nothing as bad as you're implying. But go on, Matt. And I, and I guess like, I mean, as a, as a whole movie, like it's not a movie that I'll ever watch again. It's not a movie that I would care to ever watch again, but I, but I am sort of of the bend that like, I don't have to like an entire movie to draw some pleasure out of certain scenes or moments oh, or agreed. visuals Absolutely. in a movie, right? So, so there are things that I think were, there were a couple of things in this that I did like, but that weren't overall connected to the plot or to the franchise or to the direction or to the acting. Like um, there were a few things in it that I think were okay. And, and I did think that Tom Hardy, you know, uh, the humor between his sort of, you know, uh, sort of schizophrenic uh, self, uh, that was one of the saving graces. uh, For sure. In, in terms of it as a piece of entertainment, like when he, when those jokes escalated as the movie went further and further along, I felt like the jokes got a little bit better and they started to seem more um, uh, purposeful and in, intentional. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't really defend the movie uh, as a movie. I don't, and nothing that you guys are saying about it in a derogatory way do I disagree with. I think there are other things about it stylistically, like design-wise, even yeah. in the design of some of the visual effects that I think there's a few things that are really good. There's some things that I think are not so good. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I and I agree with you that there were moments I laughed and I, you know, I was like, oh, that's like I, there were, of course, enjoyable moments. It wasn't like I was being hyperbolic. It's not mm-hmm. completely terrible, you know, opening to close. But uh, just but as it's a, a whole, shame. It's a shame that like they would spend this much time and money with a cast yeah. like this and deliver something that feels pretty Agreed. mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. At, at best. Yes, with a hundred million dollars <laughs> to spend. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. Um, okay, so leaving aside the story, and of course, I as I said, my problem really was that sort of pivotal turning point, the worst piece of on-screen stuff I've seen since Butch Cassidy the Sundance Kid decided to have the bicycle scene. But leaving that aside for a second, <laughs> um, I do think that um, some of the visual effects were really, really good. But again, for me, the visual effects were were best in things that weren't on the landing of the rocket. Yeah. The landing on the rocket just felt to me mm-hmm. decidedly 10-year-ago uh, ago type level of visual effects. It was almost Agreed. like 
we couldn't get a physically plausible shader working at DNEG, so we used the old one that was in the cupboard. Um, now, I think that there were other parts of the effects that were like really, really good and totally stood up as being, you know, just good visual effects as you'd hope that they would be in a film that has cost $100 million. But I don't know, was anybody else like not really feeling it in the, in I, the I, fight on the landing? Yeah, I agree about the rocket and the rocket, uh, the rocket launch and the rocket explosion. It didn't, there was nothing in that that was uh, really all that spectacular. There's a lot of, I think there's actually a decent number of problematic visual effects in this movie. There's a couple of uh, window, the classic window replacements. There's one scene mm -hmm. where I think it's where she picks him up and she's driving him to the hospital or something. And if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. and They're and, uh, totally on a stage for that, all of her driving stuff. Yeah, and sure. it, it's like, and it just, and it looks like it, you know, it doesn't look that great. Um, the single, can I just say the single best visual effect in the movie from my point of view? Um, sure. Is the... Uh, the alien like thing, the Houdini alien thing in the canister and crawling around. I thought that was the most interesting uh, visual before it goes into someone's body. I thought uh, the oh, the shape, like slime kind of yeah, the pulling the sticky yeah. slimy pulling kind of molecular mm -hmm. kind of yeah, components. It's, yeah, it's part octopus, part like um, what's that black stuff that they play with magnets with? You know, um, what's that oh called? yeah. Yeah, yeah, the... Um, oh, like remember, iron filings, yeah. kind of? Yeah, the iron. But it's like they have, there's a slime made out of it hmm. that kind of oozes around But I thought stuff. that was cool. The animation of that was really um, yeah. interesting. It had, it it had, had a agency. kind of a... It felt like it had, like, it had, you know, the physics worked on it. It didn't just mm -hmm. feel like a bunch of goop rolling around. The the part, though, that from from the the that the dynamics of that, the animation of that was was really cool. The material properties and stuff, the lighting, the specularity and stuff was really neat. But the stuff that I thought was problematic was as soon as it, it if it if it absorbed into someone's skin, it went through their clothing. And as mm -hmm. it went through their clothing, it was it became such a, a kind of a 2D almost like a roto yeah, shape kind of thing yeah. and a dis yeah dissolve and and it didn't leave any kind of like residue or um uh like a wetness on their clothing yeah. or anything and yeah, so to that be, it just made a, it feel real a, tv kind of almost as an effect yeah you know? and as a sort of comparison i was folding my laundry or putting my laundry away yesterday and the thing was on and I think that obviously that's all practical, the original one, mm -hmm. and or the carpenter one, and and the the sliminess of that of those creatures would have been better in this case that it left like an ectoplasm yeah. or something. because yeah. when the guy forms up, you know, he he beats up the bad guys in the chase sequence at the end, and then literally forms up, and um, and we see him. He has such a strong specularity such a sense yeah. of it being moist or gel-like that you just couldn't believe that there wouldn't be some kind of stain, you know, like almost at a, almost look like a perspiration type, like, you know, kind of something mm -hmm. mark on yeah. the clothes. And, and well, my other problem was, sorry, the same thing, is coming out from the clothes. Like when he's on the motorbike and suddenly from his chest out shoots these um, venom tentacles yeah. to grab the bike, I thought it felt like, does it just go through his clothes and like yeah. is it molecular? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Sort of, I mean, this didn't make any kind of logical sense, but also it visually didn't look like it was 
from him. Whereas in the fight sequence in the um, in his apartment, where his arm shoots out, you know, like it kind of worked because it's out of the arm sleeve. Yeah. So it didn't seem so weird. But when it's coming out of his chest and then just miraculously not out of his chest, um, right? This, it the clothes loses aren't the symbi- ripped. Yeah, the clothes yeah. aren't ripped. There's no. There's literally no. You know, uh, it's like the Hulk's shorts, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Bruce Banner wears clothes that fit him, yet somehow the shorts don't explode. You know, when he turns into the Hulk, same thing. Yes, but but I think here the problem is that you've got this symbiotic relationship that's meant to, and so for that to for me to believe that. I, I sort of need to sort of believe that they're attached to each other. Like I don't need to be more than just inhabiting the same, I don't know, you know, trans-dimensional kind of space. Like it, it felt like he it was a sort of thing where he needs the body because of the oxygen and like it was just very important that he have a physical presence through the, in, the, in the narrative. And I felt like that wasn't interpreted well in how it transpired coming out of the body of the mm. character. I did think, though, ironically, that, you know, and it's weird, I don't know if you guys would concur with this, but there were a couple moments where early on when he first has the the venom thing inside of him, there's a few moments where he doesn't really know, the Tom Hardy character doesn't mm-hmm. really know quite what's going on. And, and it sort of, um, it percolates through to the surface and they do a kind of a, I think kind of a 2D slash editorial speed change kind of thing where it's almost like he's stuttering, uh, like, you know, on a mm-hmm. like frame over frame basis between two yeah. states. And it, it, when you look at it, I'm like, oh, I, I think I kind of know what they're doing there. But I, I actually thought those moments it weirdly kind of worked in terms of that. Well, when, he's in of, the, when he's in the MRI machine. Mm-hmm. And they yes. were doing that sort of blurred Jacob's laddery yeah. smeared, you know, open gate kind of thing. Right. It, it was cool. Like I, whenever, whenever they did the four to six thousand hertz, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the hell that was for, uh, some identifying some, you know, weakness. And I like how she said, "Oh, is that his kryptonite?" And it's like, "Well, you're a Marvel movie, or are we just taking shots at that Superman now?" But. Uh, <laughs> Um, the, the, uh, the, I thought the effect when they, when they, you know, when it happened in multiple places was actually really well done. Yeah. That Jacob's ladder is a good point of reference. I think that's like, it totally made me think of that same thing. I think the, um, yeah, I think, I think the character is a really hard one on screen. I think the face, I've, I've always felt this, it just feels like a cartoon character and it, and it just has felt always really, I mean, I think this in the first or the previous Spider-Man film where he kind of appeared, it just always looked like it didn't inhabit our world. It was, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in, mm-hmm. in Evil Monsters, it just sort of popped up and it never felt like it was in our space because the way that it was originally designed and drawn. And, and so here... I know I'm overthinking this, but it was almost like, well, is this character got any internal structure or not? Because if he's got an internal structure, then there's some kind of forming up of a skeletal or pivotal thing that he's doing. And if he isn't, if he's just a blob, then why is it times that he looks really ripped and got lots of muscles? (laughs) Well, it's 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 a, I think it's more, I mean, again, not to read into it, but it's, it's, 
it's building, it needs to use the physical shape of Tom Hardy, or it doesn't have to, but it because that's its host, it's making a bigger, better, stronger version of the host, thus having some humanoid form. Now, the design, that's the straight-up McFarlane venom, right? Like, when Todd McFarlane came in, he visually revamped a lot of the characters. He's the one responsible for the kind of barbed wire-y web and, you know, a lot of the pronounced, the really pronounced eyes and stuff like that. So this is the problem, right? You're getting a character that's based on Spider-Man, which is why he kind of looks like a stretched out weirdo Spider-Man. But because you're cutting Spider-Man out of the entire lineage of the character, to your point, Mike, you really feel the lack of why does it look this way? You know what I mean? Because there's no historical reference for why it would look like essentially a big stretched out Spider-Man. I think too, though, maybe along with that, and I think what you're saying, Mike, is true too. Like he, he, when he looks um, sort of humanoid, when we see the sort of full-blown Venom character, the the huge rows of super pointed sharp teeth, like while it's sort of menacing and scary, it looks like some exaggerated Tex Avery kind of character. And then the other thing of the tongue always sort of wisping around and hanging out, which I know for a comic book artist must be really fun to draw, but as a character of some kind of menace in a story, it just makes him look like some kind of weird, like goofy, like, you know, <laughs> like a some kind of like frat boy kind of character or something. And the, and the, the, um, the musculature of his upper body is so big and so broad that his proportions mm-hmm. are so anatomically bizarre that it doesn't allow him to look, it, he looks like, it, it looks very sort of like vaudeville kind of like he never really looks yeah. like he fits in of this our world. world. Yeah. Like I know he's and an alien. I don't alien. mean of our world like, exactly. Yeah. But it's this, this, the, it's not a sort of a plausible reason why he always looks like Mr. Universe whenever he's fully him. And I mean, forget the fact that I have a problem with anything that's just not volume preserving or sort of matter preserving, but this, you know, infinite amount of matter that you can suddenly produce from anywhere. But let's assume that his alienness somehow solves that with some kind of whatever. I just don't understand why if he's inhabiting Hardy's form, he looks like Mr. Universe. Like it's just clearly he's just meant to look cool. And whenever things just look cool, I tend to find it harder to go along with it. Because it's, well, it's it, almost no like other if, reason, it's, right? if it's just to look cool, it almost can't look cool, right? Because it, it has no, uh, there's no logic and no reason. Yeah, it. I mean, it. It doesn't look cool <laughs> in the end. Well, if it's know? if it's if it's infinitely strong for all intents and purposes, as it's demonstrating, and it can to your point, Mike, create infinite volume and mass or not infinite, but a lot more than it shows, uh, then why does it need to, why does it need to look strong or appear strong or have muscles yeah. to do, because, to use? Because it doesn't understand need the muscles. Why there's a, I understand why there's a bicep on my arm, right? It may, not, yeah. it may not, it never is as big as the ones in the movies. But my point about it is I understand <laughs> that because it's based on a bone and leverage to the forearm, to the shoulder, right? I mean, they could just, there's a reason that you have a muscle over a bone in any creature that's a biped or a quadruped that you just totally buy. But this creature can do things that doesn't require muscles. Like when it shoots out from his arms to slam somebody against the wall, there's no muscles there. It's just a volume sort of shotgun of phlegmy 
black stuff that just throws the guy against the wall, right? So in other words, it's not like like he, he needs But a is that muscle. happening over the arm? Is the arm no, no, still just, in there? Just like Tom Hardy's arm kind of, is still in there. Well, maybe it is, but the there's no sense that... Out. But he can be strong without having a, quote, muscle structure. So when yeah. he goes no, to I'm the muscle saying, structure, there's no reason for it. But yeah, I agree. But I'm just saying then in, in the art to, to have an opposing argument, if he's a symbiote, he has to manage some still, you know, use an arm to bend. He can't completely collapse and turn Tom Hardy's body into jelly and then reconstitute it into a human. So there's still a human form under there uh, and everything else is an extension off of that. So when he shoots his arm out, the arm, the goop is going, and this is a second mm-hmm. secondary problem, but the goop is, you know, going off and over his arm and extending, but it's not his well, arm is that true when he's that's Is that true when he's covering the window to avoid the bullets? Like, is that Tom flashing his ass at the, at the, you know, I mean, how do we explain that? Like, I'm just uh, saying, like, like in visual effects, you have to create yes. a logic. No, I'm with you. You, you sell I'm, the I'm, logic. I'm not, try, I'm, I feel like I'm on I, Big Brother and I'm, I, they, I mean, I'm Big Bang they, arguing I think, no, I mean, it's problematic. can't be picked up on an elevator, but. It's problematic but I, it, in, yeah. in general, it, but. I, it comes back in some ways, I think, to the, to the script. I think there was an opportunity in even the script as it was structured to show, uh, and it would have made it maybe more like the mask or something than, which it kind of, it also kind of seems like it's, it has that kind of exaggerated mm. visual effects. It sort of reminded me a little bit of that style. But when the, um, the venom, uh, the plasma thing leaves Tom Hardy's body and crawls into the um, ventilation shaft, and then it yep. enters into the, the small dog Mm-hmm. At yeah. one point, and it, you know, there was an opportunity there for you know a, another um, explanation of the sort of uh, symbiote logic, right? Yeah. To see it, um, how did what does it look like when he goes full venom, like um, on the dog in a way, right? Does what does he look like, and, and would it be? anatomically more like a, a small, I don't know what kind of dog that was, but a small dog. And I mean, that it could have been funny, right? And maybe almost ridiculous, but it would have at Very least- Very mask-like pro- now, aren't we? Yeah, but, it, like but, but Right, but it, but it would have provided maybe an, a, some assemblance of some kind of logic about how that well, thing functions. Well, and then to that point, then volumetrically, the, the amount of goop that was there was bigger than the dog, uh-huh. right? So it somehow got smaller to squeeze in there. You know yeah, mean? but that's like okay. That's we we we've established that the stuff doesn't preserve volume or or mass, right? Because it's like well, in the when tubes. It's in, so when it's in the tube, it's just inhabiting the tube. Like it's just taking up as much space as it can in the tube. I mean, is we that assume the, that, it, but but the the I mean, otherwise you can't have a character as big as Venom, which is like what six foot nine or something. Yeah, when he's lifting guys up by the throat and have him in a dog. Like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, in the, yeah. in the logic of the movie, there's no volume preserving. Okay, I accept that. That's just the premise of the, of the fiction. But, but in the premise of the fiction, they're just very inconsistent as to why it needs to look the way that it does at any time in a way that just somehow very subtly perhaps just pulls the, the, the rug out from underneath the visual effects because you're already trying to make something that I think looks absurdly cartoony 
look like it inhabits the world. Yeah. And every time you do these massive kind of huge amounts of mass stuff to produce, you know, arbitrarily cool looking muscle men, it just seems even less credible. Maybe what about... Oh, I'm going to... Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, what about when uh, there's a scene where uh, Tom Hardy, I think is... He's he's trying to escape from some of the the bad dudes, I guess, right? And uh, the Venom character takes him from the streets of San Francisco into the water, and they swim out to like I guess like a a dinghy or something like that that's floating out in the water, and they sit on the dinghy, and it's Tom Hardy, but there is this um, sort of spectral kind of semi-connected head of Venom that's talking. So they're having a face-to-face oh, the, conversation. The, the oh, yeah. sequences? Yeah. 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 What you did get you get guys... the same one with the um, the evil guy in the lab. Yeah, when he's... yeah. what did you yeah. think of that in, in the context of what kinda, you're describing? I actually kind of liked it. Oh, uh, I thought it was appalling. You've got to be kidding. You just couldn't like <laughs> possibly like that. That was like well, the maybe least... That was my... I was holding that because... in reserve for my most absurd use of visual effects <laughs> in a built-up area. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I feel like Matt Wallen. Uh, yeah, I mean, how could I, Jason have liked that? I mean, I can't believe on. it. How could Jason have liked the puppet? The Emmy Award well, winning Well, now Jason I know why done. Jason could have liked the puppet. He just won an Emmy for working with puppets. No wonder you like the puppet. But this is not I, like you're not letting go of the fraternity of puppets. You're not going to be thrown out of the Muppet Club just because you don't like the puppet I, on a I didn't mind in the it, film. It, it, it at least provided well, no, another you, way for, them too long to around Muppets is for him to see... For him Spend to all your see time venom with, and, people with hands up people's heads, but this is, oh come on! It was just a completely obvious device to be able to have exposition. No kidding, the whole movie was terrible exposition. At least this was an interesting, <laughs> a more interesting way than going. Hmm. It seems no, to not no, like no, 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 no. It's not it a more interesting way than having him talk to himself. It was a less interesting way. It was a way where we said. I need to show a dialogue between these two characters and I can't because they're in the same space. Oh, I've got a new idea. Let's stick his head out on a thin thing and just have him... I mean, why does Venom, the mm, symbiotic thing, need to physically face Tom Hardy to see his reaction when, as we've already established in the film, he knows everything that he's thinking. Like when I know well, no, what I you're know thinking, the, why do I need to see your face to that, talk to you? Yeah, that whole thing was terrible. The, all the inconsistencies in the, you know... I know everything you're thinking. Who's Anna? You're like, wait, you just told me you know everything I'm thinking. What everything are you talking you're thinking, about? Yeah. Like, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I just, I, uh, I don't know. It, it didn't feel, it didn't feel off to me. It looked, it, and it looks more like the, I think that was also a, a nod to the McFarlane stuff. Cause the sort of ropey, the sort of the way that it was just, you know, uh, designed. The tendrils from the, the head. The tendrils and the way it's looking at him, like it's, it's it's a McFarlane frame. I don't know if it's exactly a McFarlane frame, but it's a stylistically, it's a McFarlane type frame. So maybe just the comic art geek in me was like, oh, I I feel the some sort of reference to that frame, mm-hmm. but it didn't bother me much, as much as other things. The the quite possibly worst. If Bullet is the best car chase ever in San Francisco, this is the worst <laughs> car chase ever in San Francisco. Yeah, it's really This is a rubber, this because, is a rubber okay, bullet. Okay, now I'm going to go I'm going to go contrarian here and say at least it felt like it was San Francisco, right? More than Oh yeah, okay. Ant-Man did. Sure. Yes. 
Yes. The last time we saw a car chase in, it was Ant-Man and they had a couple of nods to San Francisco and the rest of the time it was on the flat in Atlanta. At least I felt like this felt like San Fran. And I've only been to San Fran as a tourist, but I've been there a number of times. It yeah, felt like San Fran. Don't, don't call no, it. No, for sure. Don't, you don't call it San Fran. <laughs> what do you call it? Just, you can call it San Francisco or you can call it the city, but you, uh, you can't call it San Fran and you can't call it Frisco either. Just, I'm just, just letting you know. Why can't you call it San Fran? Uh, locals don't appreciate that terminology. Well, look, I'm an Australian. We abbreviate everything. Like, I'm just, if the rest I of the just, world talks about Volkswagen, <laughs> other places talk about VW. We can't even say VW. We just say VW. We can't I'm just, even get I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing some knowledge with you. That's all. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I agree. Okay. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> we can agree that the movie sufficiently made you feel like you were in San Francisco. Job well done. Uh, but... <laughs> Design-wise and editorially, which uh, I'm sure the editor was quite uh, frightened with the way that they received the coverage, uh, you know, it just, it, it was it was just, I didn't feel like I knew where I was at any given moment except for like, now I'm going to drive a motorcycle super fast up a hill and jump it like a ramp, but I don't think that the motorcycle could go that fast to get that kind of air up and over the up. No, and no, fizz- no, that was, that's that a, was absurd. Yeah. Cause of course, and, that, and why did he have an a, X on the front? It was like an X-Man. Yeah. X-Man over the, thing? over the like, headlight. Motorcycle? Light yeah. I mean, yeah. Venom never becomes an X-Man. So I not quite sure what that was, but. Um, also, why is it the security guards at a lab have beach buggies, but that's another matter. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Also, the drones were not really drones; they were just missiles. The drones were, were interesting, weren't they? Yeah, the, the yeah. drones they that like, were they had like jet-powered drones or something. But they were missiles. Like, weren't you, weren't All you they just did expecting was just the next day to stuff. be like in San Francisco? We just had a paranormal event coupled with a low-flying, you know, drone set of attack. Yeah, drone attacks. Hello, and the rest of the city's like, yeah, yeah it's Wednesday. <laughs> no big yeah, deal. literally every literally Here in everything is just walking down. Yeah, <laughs> we just block yeah, he's just walking down the street. There's no even in the Hulk, the Angley's Hulk. There's news coverage of 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 a, of a creature destroying, you know, uh, San Francisco. So, you know, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's a tough one. <laughs> The the one of the t- I think it's not far after the crash the opening crash when they're in the ambulance with the guy that sits up who has this, the venom yeah. or the symbiote in him the riot or whatever it when the when the ambulance flips over the physics yeah. of it flipping actually I felt were okay except for the last flip yeah the when la- it falls know, on it, its when side it ended. and it was yeah. like. Did it was it hit like a magnet? totally fine, and then it just went over, Boom. and I was like, "Yep, is that a comedic? Mm-hmm. Is that for like a comedic nature?" Because, like, I was to- I wasn't even thinking about it flipping, and then that happened, and I was like, "Wait!" And then as as soon as it flips, bang, 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 it punches out and it walks out. I was just like, "That's weird." That felt yeah. Weird. That's odd. funny that that's funny that you guys noticed that because I noticed that too and thought, you know, oh, that just looks that looks wrong somehow. But yeah, yeah, it fell really hard. That last fall fell really hard. It was like, <laughs> it was like, it, yeah, like magnets or like it was like, you know, weighed, you know, 30,000 tons or something. Yeah. It just like thud and it, you know, came to a complete but stop. conversely, I thought the, at least the coverage, this is not a visual effects thing, but the coverage of the forest sequence 
actually had some pathos to it and, you know, said some wide and close and the trees had some yeah, good momentum. Trend, that was it, good. That was a good it had sequence. A, it had a Sherlock Holmesy two scenario, you know, kind mm-hmm. of vibe to it. Uh, well, sans, just the way he busted the through that speed. tree and stuff, it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all the stuff of him like, you know, sort of like you have powers, but you don't know it. Kind of thing and then the way. freaking out, setting up the tree was funny. Like that yeah. was yeah. that was that was totally valid. I, yeah, I, visual effects were valid. Logic was valid. Mm-hmm. Bad guys were bad. Good guy was like freaked out. And yeah, Tom Hardy a is a scruffy good. It was a solid sequence. I'm putting that on my show reel. I'm happy with that one. <laughs> Not yeah. so happy with the fight on the landing. But no. even and then and then conversely, the 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 we can go with the Michelle Williams Venom. Uh, you know. The, uh, sexy oh, venom. Oh, I forgot sexy venom. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at least the, the, I can say the shot design, again, not necessarily a visual effects thing, um, although I'm sure there were plenty of visual effects in the shot, but the shot design of the smoky forest kind of glowy and whatever, like that was very nice. That had a nice kind of, you know, intimate feel without it being, you know, uh, too feeling like a set. Well, and sex, um, sexy venom reminded me a little bit of um, the end of Under the Skin. The sort oh, of, sure. The black, um, yeah, you know, sort of uh, alien skin of the uh, Scarlett Johansson character underneath. It had, we, it had, although it was more a little bit more like uh, buxom, I guess. Yeah. Can we can we start calling Under the Skin the better venom? <laughs> sure. <laughs> The artistic venom, yeah, uh, okay. just not sexy venom. Yeah, um, sexy venom was. But, but also to point something else out is the sexy venom. They made they they went to. You remind of that line in Wayne's World. It's like you know when Bugs Bunny dresses up as a woman bunny. Do you find her attractive? <laughs> no. <laughs> I always think of Junior Brown. She's a denim wearing venom. You know that song, Junior ah, Brown. Yeah, Junior oh, Brown. She's a devil woman. But. Um, uh, uh, they went to such lengths in the script to say that it has to find the perfect host, yet both a dog, uh, Tom Hardy, Riz Ahmed, and Michelle Williams little girl. all, and the little girl, happen to be perfect hosts. Oh, and, and all the, the hosts. girl Venom would have been so yeah. great. Yeah, I thought there would have Why been. Why not a, do that? that? Exactly. Little girl Venom doesn't have to be sexy, not being freaky. And yeah. and the dog venom would have been mm-hmm. yeah. more of that, less of the um, fight at the end. Also, just it just is too obvious to have a big fight between the two baddies at the end of the film when the only reason that they had the entire plot line of one of them getting away was that you could inhabit the baddie and give him the Iron Monger to Iron Man fight at the yep. end that every movie yeah. does. It, it was, that's, that's, that, that's when it went full Ang Lee's Hulk for me. It was just like, it was yes. so boring. That third act and was so Optimus Prime and, the, Optimus Prime and, and uh, you know. Megatron. Megatron. And clearly our hero is going to be outnumbered and he, clearly our hero looks like he's dead and he clearly at the last second the hero gets the upper hand. But normally the bad guy kills himself somehow by falling back and impaling themselves so our goody doesn't have to actually kill anyone. God forbid that our baddie is actually really, really bad. It's just like, you know, our baddie doesn't ever... Like, like our baddie never actually gets the other guy and breaks their neck by ripping their jaw from their skull. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like that never happens. Yeah. They... They stagger well, then, back and fall into the one thing that's their kryptonite. 
They made yeah, a point need- too of saying that, like, I can't remember what the name of Venom's evil twin. Riot. Riot. They made a point of saying that he has all these amazing tools that mm-hmm. no other, like, he didn't have any amazing tools. What were they? Well, he just had the bigger blades and the longer stuff. But it, but it, but right when he <laughs> says that, and then Tom Hardy's like, you're right. And he goes, told you. But then it doesn't really matter. Because yeah, they fight him like anyway. However, it was, yeah, however, it was just however, mono. When they were fighting, and there was that slow motion sequence where, uh, now it was incredibly unclear that they had sort of merged into one giant being at one point, hmm. because yeah. they rip apart. The ripping apart where you have Tom Hardy on the left, Riz Ahmed on the right, oh, Venom, right. bigger Venom on the left, Riot, bigger Riot on the right, and that sort of slow mo thing as the rocket is doing it about to take off or whatever, whatever yeah. the background scenario was that to me i was like that's super cool like again it breaks the the and maybe it's too much of the puppet thing for you mike but it that at least felt visually like okay you're explaining something to me visually i i'm i'm seeing the fight i'm seeing the the climax of the struggle and everything's being ripped apart i i could see i could see the 11 by 17 visual effects art directors like (laughs) you know uh you know, Photoshop, uh, you know, kind of painting of that moment. Like I could see, yeah. I could see that image in the, you know, the art of book. I could just, it was, it was a well-designed shot. And I think it really encapsulated like so many aspects of plot and character in a single, uh, not a yeah. single frame, but in a single sequence. Like, and it really, it really did sum up the sort of the narrative and the symbiotic relationship between these aliens and the humans. And yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was so, the movie in a nutshell, like it was a, you know, a poster yeah. frame. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Well, I want to just really make this point There there were some really good visual effects shots, like, you know, that Absolutely. were totally A grade. Totally. Especially before that, not that shot. I like that shot, but the mm-hmm. other stuff, like running down the, the, the length of the thing to get to the rocket kind of thing. Um, but can I ask you one other thing? Does is that just me? I mean, is Carnage well enough known that the end post credits made any sense to anyone? I oh, I, I, I didn't no know who it was. was. I had to yeah. look it up because I didn't follow um, I didn't follow uh, Venom that much in the comic after the original version of him. But um, my here's my problem, and this is just a studio level problem: is Sony basically decided, fine, we'll give you Spider-Man, Marvel for what, however much, you know, however many movies, a couple movies, and then they made Homecoming, and it was great, I thought, for all the spider, other Spider-Men that had been made. Uh, and just every studio that has just a shred of a, of a license of a character of Marvel thinks that they can do what Marvel does, and I'm not saying Marvel hits it out of the park every time, but they've developed a formula like Pixar where they have a at least a thing, you know, and and every studio it says in association with Marvel, but that's probably just a nod of some kind because there was it was like whoever made this movie and oddly Maddie has shot I think at least two of the Iron Man movies, certainly Iron Man one, uh, and and it's like the the director had never watched a superhero movie or a Marvel movie ever. 
and was like, no, we can do our own. We're, well, yeah, Sony, let's make our own franchise because apparently this is going to be a trilogy of some kind. I just wish that these other studios would give it to Marvel, give their properties to Marvel and take their money, not spend it and just make money and just say, yeah, Sony and Marvel present because it just, it hasn't worked. I mean, look at how many Fantastic Four movies have there been and now oh, yeah. Disney owns them. You know what I mean? Marvel owns Fox. Uh, those properties from Fox because they bought them. So, uh, you know, I don't know. That's just that's a larger scale. Carnage issue. just to me is it, my daughter said it. She was like, "Did they just look around for any character that Marvel didn't want and said, <laughs> oh, we'll have them?'" But the, but he was presented in such a way that like I felt like it should have been the Joker, you know, or like the Riddler, yeah. like something that everybody knew. And you go, "Oh wow, how cool is that?" And I was like, "I don't think I'm that old that." I've completely missed the subculture that makes this guy cool. And he didn't look cool. He looked again a bit like a cartoon character. Well, I thought it was um, Woody Harrelson playing uh, Screech from uh, <laughs> Justin, what is that guy? Justin, Justin Diamond. Diamond. Dustin Diamond, yeah. Which I don't, I only know that just from the sort of jokey memes about it. But like, I just thought, it would have like, been, what, it been what really is great that if, guy? <laughs> if the post credit sequence had revealed that Spider-Man had been tracking this all along, and that Iron Man hadn't been letting him get involved or something. Like something that you would have been like after credit, oh my God, you have to check this out. That but would I have been... Sp- but, but I just, think they're actively trying to distance it from Spider-Man. I mean... Well, obviously, but but I'm just saying like it just didn't... Having this character that's really got to be pretty unknown to most movie-going public. I mean, you cannot make a successful franchise, like a franchise in particular out of just diehard fans of the comic books. Like that's what happens, I reckon. You go to Comic-Con and the Comic-Con crowd go crazy because they have all know all the intricate, yeah. you know, like... And, and then it goes to the main cinema and it doesn't kind of make money. To make money at the main cinema, you have to be a broader tent. You can't be that exclusive that you can well, only get it if you've seen, read, sorry, all of the graphic novels. And remember that this movie featured, uh, this movie featured Venom fighting Riot. And they look exactly the same. Carnage is a red version of Venom. So movie number two is going to be the exact same bad guy, just with a different host. But the end result is the same. He wants to do bad things and he looks exactly like Venom. He's just red. You know what I mean? So like, how is that a, how is that a, like, how is that engendering you know, you want to see the second one unless you're a diehard because if the movie doesn't do well, well, you're just basically telling the audience we're going to make it again just without the origin story. But oddly enough, uh, the release window for this movie was perfectly timed. There was nothing up against it other than this weekend, the... uh, uh, what Neil Armstrong uh, first man movie? Yeah, but uh, can I say the rocket Venom. launch in that? The rocket launch in that was way more believable. That well, was a yeah. good rocket launch. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. No, really, it's 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 right up there. Oh, sure, I believe it, but you know, I haven't seen that one yet either. But I do think that um, you know, Venom beat uh, First Man at the box office again for Venom's second week. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting, at least in it's the It's not US a fair comparison, though, box, because the, the audience that you're appealing to with Venom is nowhere yes. near the audience you're appealing to with First Man. And First true. Man yeah. is basically uh, like people of my generation that kind of remember the space program. Mm-hmm. And it's a very I'm, slow-moving film by comparison. It's not an action film. It's a 
really it's like a you documentary, know, yeah. Yeah, and it's very interesting to have these super quiet looks at what it would, like how much could they actually see out the window, you know, that kind of stuff, when you kind of know what's going on and be aware of the sort of geopolitics and why things are going the way they are. But it's played out in, you know, like excruciatingly slow kind of steps. If you want action, it's not the film to go see. And this yeah. is the exact opposite, right? If you want to go and see action and not, you just want some fun and some popcorn, this is the film to go see. Well, I read it's an more, article. more populist entertainment, I guess. I read an article that said that First Man is inadvertently a right-wing fantasy film. I don't, I don't because, get that one. I, I, because, why? It, because at least in the article they said because it espouses a time when, you know, white men were powerful and the government controlled more things and it, all the things, you know, it was, you know, a conservative time and a... And what it, I don't it, it's I think personally it's nonsense because you can find you can find parallels in anything you want. I mean, read any conspiracy theory blog. <laughs> uh, so I, I was just I think we're in a obviously a, I'm not going to make this political. It's a polarizing time, and yeah. people are looking for anything to find. I haven't seen the film. I at least in my own there was nothing in the film that was make America I, great. No, I wouldn't. No, no, I wouldn't assume there is. I think it was yeah. a subtext thing that that this article was was uh pointing towards but uh, uh um and and uh, i can anyway. say if if a right-wing fantasy right now is a keg house um becoming you know like uh the gateway to the supreme court then <laughs> neil armstrong is about the most respectful individual going yes. like the guy never exploited his yes. clearly enormous fame um you know, if anything, it pokes a little bit of a harsh light on uh, on Buzz Aldrin for being a little less tactful and a little more right. sort of, you know, keen to get the, the spotlight. But there there is no way that anything that I would associate right now with kind of right-wing politics is reflected in the man. No, I, and I'm not suggesting the movie was. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, just, I'm saying just saying that, yeah. If people are listening uh, to it and they think they shouldn't see the film for that reason, it would be a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's... Uh, yeah, it's a digression. I, I was, as just a quick aside, I was very excited to see Damon Chazelle and Linus Sangren take a complete 180 from uh, La La Land's look, feel, vibe. Not that it should have transferred over, but a lot of directors, you know, aren't as versatile as some others. And so in this case, uh, I think Chazelle's very versatile and, you know, uh, Whiplash doesn't look like La La Land, and La La Land certainly doesn't look like First Man. So I, I I applaud them applying a look and a feel to a movie that needed its own look and feel. Having not seen the movie, just a trailer, it's but it's yeah. very obvious that it's it's a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got to say, like um, the other person that's amazing in it is um, Claire Foy. Like she, yeah, you know, coming off uh, the Crown or whatever it was. I mean that actress. That she can. She's got chops. <laughs> she's yeah. got. She's in the new amazing. Girl with Dragon Tattoo movie too. Yeah, I mean, wow, what a that's a career, right? Um, I, I think that uh, you guys yeah, didn't see got, her in Unsane, the iPhone. Steven I did Soderberg not. Movie. I did not see that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that good? I mean, I thought it was. It, it's a straight up psychological thriller, but you know the gimmick is that it's shot on you know, uh, on iPhones and, um, she's the, the star. And, um, I don't know. I went and saw it with some of my students last semester 
because we were doing a class that was kind of along those same lines. And um, I thought it was, it was cool. Like within the first, uh, you know, 10 minutes of the movie, you forget that you're watching something that's shot on a consumer phone. Yeah, I'm sure. You settle into the style of it. Yeah. And I mean, and for what it was, I mean, it was cool. And, And Claire Foy again, you know, she's a, she's a great actor. I think she's really, she's just so strong and like really charismatic. So yeah, she was fun, fun I mean, to watch. Once you put that third of those three films you discussed, which is the girl in the spider web in her kind of portfolio, because it's easy to get sort of, you know, carried away with a period drama and everyone looks magnificent if they're playing a queen that's kind of reeking elegance. Um, but between that and her kind of vulnerability in, in uh, first, and then I, I haven't seen obviously girl in the spider web, but, if it's anything like the trailer or the kind of thing that I've seen so far, um, her like role as a hacker and, and stuff, I think she's going to be set for the Oscars. I can't imagine that the audience, I mean, just she's just got such versatility, such oh, believability. Yeah. 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 And, and can I just say that that was my problem also in this film in Venom. I just never, and somebody mentioned it earlier, so I apologize for not lifting rack on this earlier. It's the lack of, um, of thought that anyone's going to come into any peril. And of course, the yeah. obvious thing would have been to have Michelle Williams's character actually have. I mean, there's no reason we couldn't have killed off. Is it Anne? I think she plays Anne, right? Anne could have been killed off in this film, and that would have given this film gravitas. Like if he had, if it was dark. Well, and well, I I would hesitate to say that there was a conscious. And again, this is pure speculation that there was a conscious choice to not have a heroine in need a damsel in distress and damsel in distress and have her be a strong character but in this case it felt like they were like great uh and in parentheses strong character and parentheses like there wasn't any development of her strong character other yeah. than that she doesn't stand for a lying man and she's standing on her own and yet she's still there to support her ex boyfriend because you know she's always loved him and she's at least a good person that was literally the extent of her character they and flirted, Dan, yeah they flirted yeah, with and, the idea of exactly. peril though a few times in terms of the health of the host where it was right, like you sure. know that the the symbiote was killing the host or the shrinking the size of the well, heart or the actually, liver or something and actually venom sort of he has one line at the end when he's talking about eating people and they're having their discourse about who you can eat and who you can't eat. And he goes, well, we better get some food soon because your liver's looking mighty tasty. So what they're saying is that it's not that the symbiote needs to find a host that's compatible. It's a symbiote needs to actively choose not to eat the host. Is that not correct? It's almost almost like a vampire. It's contradictory. It's a vampire. Well, it's contradictory because when it got in the homeless guy, Isaac... Which actually I thought was a really good transformation sequence, when, except for the 2D nature of it absorbing into him. Once mm-hmm. it was in him, the way he kind of bent and moved and, you know, his, his thing where they didn't go, they went a little cartoony, but not over the top where he bent completely in half or something like that. You know, just the way his neck kind of stretched out and his arms mm-hmm. kind of bent weird and then he, it came out of his mouth. Like, okay. So, but in that case, what was its purpose? Did it, was it based on the, information we learned later was it that it ate its his, his internal organs and it's sated now or that it wasn't a proper host match because there's if mis- we weren't willing to if we weren't willing to yeah. sacrifice michelle williams's character as Anne, what about the doctor who is sacrificed but i felt like we like she was a pretty sympathetic character and 
And I Jenny thought Sweet's like she could have had a bigger role, and losing her could have actually been a yes a problem, right? Yeah. She was yeah, kind of she... lost. Just like we're well, going to get rid of her now. Bye. She was. Right. She was the. They they let her character be the sort of helpless, sort of female who wants to do good, female character who wants to do good and and is punished for it. But she um, not she. But I mean, couldn't there been some pathos yeah, from of course her having her organs eaten from the inside out and him not being able to save? And at that point, maybe Venom could, wouldn't help him save her. And or could and, she, being the doctor involved with him? Maybe she knew something that could have helped Tom Hardy get Venom out of him permanently and then that that information's lost and Tom Hardy has to learn to live. It's like, you know, the antidote is gone and now he has to learn how to live with Venom or, I don't know, some, you know, too close for comfort, you know, bosom buddies kind that, of thing. That actress, Jenny Slate, is, I think, good on screen. Like she, Yeah, she's great. I, mean, I, I know they had her looking a little mousy, but, you know, she is like... She she can act. I felt yeah. like that was an opportunity to do more. Oh, she was um, she was the other doctor, the other scientist, yeah. the one that yeah. that that leaked the information. Yeah. You know, you see, yeah. he, she yeah, follows she him badly good. into the. Anyway. Also, that's the other um, thing. Eddie Brock, the original Eddie Brock, as I think they portrayed in the other Spider-Man movie, he's a criminal. You know what I mean? And in this case, uh, which is why Venom is a bad guy, uh, even though Venom itself is inherently bad quote-unquote when it's in spider-man he it's initially good he gets the suit he turns wow this new black suit is awesome and that's you know whatever and then and then it starts trying to take over him and and whatever and then it goes into eddie brock and becomes a bad guy uh so it was odd and again i don't know the if there's a, a modern version of venom where this story was taken from it's not i'm sure it can't be completely fictionalized it has to come from some basis of the comic because they usually are um but it was sort of weird his like social justice youtuber thing and by the way talking about window comps the complete perfect exposure inside and outside in the in his boss's office was was off-putting to me yeah personally. yeah in the in the newspaper uh, yeah 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 in his like network the network's office yeah, and just last thing about actors wasted in the movie, uh, I just have to say it was it was so great to see Melora Walters. Yeah, Melora uh, Walters, as, man. But but again, what a shame that it was such a fleeting, yeah. brief part because she's <laughs> she such should have a been great the doctor. She could have been the doctor character. Easy. Why did she have to be young? Yeah, she's a great actor, and and it, I haven't seen her in enough stuff. I think the last big role I saw her in was Magnolia years and years yeah. ago. Yeah. Anyway. So getting back to the visual effects just to finish up. So so just from a rendering point of view, as I said, alluded to earlier, I was disappointed with the look of the renderer in the end sequence, in the end third, though the rendering looked really good earlier. Um, I don't understand that um, given that I have so much respect for Deneg who did it. The visual effects supervisor on this film, um, well, there was, did you actually say that was, sorry? It was Sheena Dougal and Paul Franklin, right? Well, yeah, it was Paul Franklin sort of one, I think Sheena two. Well, then they were, they were, they were both um, VFX loops, but I, I think Paul came on before Sheena. Hmm. Uh, I, could be, I think that's the case. Um, and they're both really, really good. And yeah. uh, obviously Paul Franklin's work with um, things like, uh, well, the Nolan films, but in particular, um, you know, the stuff that- Talk about exposition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <Sorry>. you. Sorry. <laughs> 
and Sheena's done an enormous amount of work in the Marvel Universe uh, yeah. doing. Um, so they're both very, very good visual effects supervisors and just really nice people. Um, and Dean Egg is without a doubt one of the world's great visual effects houses. So it'll be interesting to see over the coming months whether we get more of an insight as to how that played out. It's sometimes never the case as to why something is the way that it is. In other words, it can be a reshoot, it can be a studio thing, it can be time or money. Like we just don't know what it, it could is be that a dirt. I mean, to- you would you would assume, and again, we know from a Marvel standpoint, this isn't always the case because the directors don't get as much power as you think. In this case, you know, how much influence did Ruben Fleischer, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, obviously, but how much <laughs> influence did he have over shot design and and character looks and all, you know, who, who signed off on the major development points, you know, both story-wise and visually? Typically it would be the director and then producers and studio and you get studio notes and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just curious because to your point, you know, Egg doing your work, you'd be like, if I was a director and they're like, hey, yeah, Paul Franklin and Sheena uh, Dougal are your VFX supervisor, it'd be like, okay then. Game we're, over. We're, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Let's we're good. go to lunch. <laughs> good day's work, yeah. everybody, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally with you. There's, there is no doubt in my mind that, um, that there must have been a lot more at play there because it's just, it doesn't quite add up. Um, and, 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 you know, hopefully, I mean, look, it's hard, isn't it? But... But the, the reality is I think the film is totally fine um, for what it is, which is just a film and it's going to do enough money that, you know, the artists um, and the companies get paid, everyone's sort of happy. Mm-hmm. I just don't feel like it's the start of a... Uh, if you told me that the next one is coming out, I'm not running to the cinema to see it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, expect I think a bit you, more now. Yeah, I think you could say too, like it's just with all of the the pieces of the puzzle in place from the cast to the crew, to the visual effects crew, like it feels a little bit like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. It should be kicking it harder than it did. Having said that, you know, like the critics like me, like us have been pretty down on it and the film has been doing really pretty good box office. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it's a little hard to... um, The audience I saw it with, they were like laughing and, you know, they clapped at the end of the movie. People liked it. Yeah. So, you know, go figure. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to look it up real quick. Uh, What are are you looking up? I want to see the box office. Oh, it's like a million Uh, something. A million? It cost a million and... uh, I mean, a hundred million. It's done a hundred million and a hundred and seven million or something and it was a hundred million. Uh, yeah, production budget 100 million worldwide 378 so far. So they're doing all right. Yeah. They'll make their money back even if you double it. 200 million is you know, they always say double it for production budget and and uh marketing. So which in this case I doubt they spent 100 million on marketing, but let's just say they did. There's still 178 million dollars in the in the plus, so I'm not worried about Sony. No, no, I'm not worried about them. <laughs> uh, it gives me hope for my mediocre superhero movie. <laughs> the Muppets take Manhattan. Uh, yeah. The Dark Side. <laughs> Dark Crystal Volume Three. Yeah. Which I'd go and see in, a Dark Crystal film. which I would never. I'd go and I would, see you directing a Dark Crystal film in a heartbeat, I, my friend. And and <laughs> and 
Might I clarify that I would never use the terms mediocre and the dark crystal ever in the same sentence. Nor would you set it in <laughs> San Fran. That's Sister. true. There is a new there is the new Dark Crystal series coming on Netflix. So let's uh, let's uh, fingers crossed. Okay. Um, okay, it's been a pleasure talking with you uh, again. Just as always, I apologize to listeners that we haven't had one out for a little while. I've been super busy doing some research and uh, had 126 experiments that I just completed, and it wow. took a lot of my time. So I do apologize, um, uh, but there you go. Hey, so if people can follow up on where, you, well, let's start with you, Jason. If people can follow up to um, see photos of your illustrious shiny statue uh, night <laughs> and other things, as well as realizing that they've missed an enormous opportunity by not hiring you for their next uh, Dark Crystal uh, spinoff, <laughs> where would they go? Uh, well, most of my pictures are on Instagram, Jason Diamond, where you can see a picture of our Emmys uh, at In-N-Out Burger where we went to have burgers in our, in our tuxes after uh, the awards as you do. Um, and, you know, Facebook, same. Twitter, same. Uh, thediamondbros.com, Frame.io, Supersphere, all the stuff, all the millions of pies and pots that I have boiling. Uh, hoping to burn myself on one of them one of these days. Uh, and Matt, your uh, uh, educational prowess of uh, <laughs> wisdom is domicile yeah, where? <laughs> I'm. Uh, you can always find me at Virginia Commonwealth University in the School of the Arts um, in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, my website is mattwallen.com. And okay, can so I say, out of the way, wait, can I say real quick? What was the photo of the two of you the other day? I saw a photo yes. online of the two oh, of you yeah. and I'm like, I wasn't invited. What were you guys up to? <laughs> uh, I was in Richmond. Actually, I had a- Because Ty had, was there as well, right? I had, Yeah, I had scouts for shoots that we went back and did in both Norfolk and Richmond. And it just so happened we went there on the day that the hurricane was coming. Not the last to, hurricane, but the first not hurricane. The, the, the previous Florence. big hurricane, Florence. <laughs> So we we hurried out of Norfolk and went to Richmond, which is where we were going to go next. And we spent a wonderful evening with uh, Matt and his buddy uh, at a at a bar having fun. And then the next day, I went and visited Matt and Ty at Virginia Commonwealth University. And Jason and spoke in my spoke visual in effects class. class, and it yeah. was awesome. He talked about. Uh, we got to, I got to sort of slash interview Jason kind of yeah. and talk to him all about his, uh, his background, his career trajectory and stuff. And it was really cool. Yeah. Some of the kids were interested. The other ones I think were looking at their phones most of the time, but you know, well, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't listen normal. to me either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do. I hate to say that, but that is actually pretty normal. Like uh, yeah. to get, but here's the thing. I think in a room, uh, in an educational environment, especially when you've got maybe undergrads and certainly mm -hmm. I teach undergrads. Um, yep. Sometimes you need to have a win if like you obviously everybody gets an education, but some like a small group, maybe like totally get it. Like it, it, it's enough. Yeah. I don't think you expect at that level. Like, you know, it's that thing where like uh, you, I've often gone to a film school and they've had these amazing opportunities and amazing equipment and they just started, don't realize it at that point, like how cool it yeah. is. And it's like, that's okay. That's all right. You guys like later will look back on this and go, oh my God, we had it just so good. But at the moment that you're doing it, they just kind of not out there enough to know how yep. good it is. Well, we've had some great guest 
we've had some great guest speakers, uh, not the least of which, of course, was Jason Diamond. But we, a couple of years ago, I had uh, Sid Mead came and spoke at VCU awesome. in a in a big auditorium, cool. which was amazing. And uh, actually, in a couple of weeks, Mike Mignola is coming to Whoa. speak, which will be really nice. cool too. So yeah, yeah, well, that's because you're in the illustration help. stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's largely a, a drawing-based program, but, I mean, we're doing so many things now, which yeah. makes sense, right, in 3D and stuff. So Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and it was great to finally meet Ty in person and, and have a quick hang, I believe. Uh, we will be back in Richmond uh, maybe in a month or so. Uh, I'll let you know. Yeah, beer and tacos um, on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to joining you someday soon. Uh, that would be We awesome. wish you would yeah, you're always invited, but I, I wouldn't travel all the way from Sydney to come to <laughs> Richmond, I don't think. But <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> way to undersell Richmond, Virginia. Well, okay, I mean, sure. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, of all the places you could go, it probably would be you know, a little ways down the list of the places you could go traveling that far. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you know, okay. I like it, and but... <laughs> And, and obviously, for those that are listening, so I'm I'm at Mike I'm Mike Seymour on um, just about most social media like Twitter and FX Guide. I'm about to buy. I want to buy a super high end mega PC laptop. So if anyone's got any recommendation, kind of like an i9, you know, like I've got budget, like stacked to the teeth machine that they think is really good. Can somebody email me Mike S at fxguide.com? I want to do stuff. I'm doing stuff with Magic Leap and a whole bunch of things. I need a high end. Because my big machines at work are just too big to move. I need a killer top of the line, as as heftier kind of PCs you can get that still fits in a backpack. With so email EGP, me if you've got any recommendations. GPU possibilities or or any of that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I I basically I've got a whole lot of high end PCs, which obviously I'm about to yeah. put um, RTX cards in and mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I'd like to have a top of the line laptop that I can actually take home and not just be kind of caught well, is there going to be, I'm wondering when the RTX laptops are going to come out because doesn't MSI or somebody like that has a 1080 Ti laptop. So when can you get the 2080 Ti in a laptop? I mean, it's the same size more or less. It needs more power, but that would be cool. Yeah. Yes. I mean, obviously the, you, you split, right? Like I want the i9 kind of for the yeah. processing power, but then I want to like sort of solid uh, NVIDIA uh, kind of card. And I don't need it to replace a tower. I mean, I'm naive to think that it can, but um, I'm spoiled with really top-end Mac stuff, but I need a top-end PC thing. And uh, so anyway, yes, if you've got any recommendations or you're the person that says, I really want an excuse to talk to Mike and have him owe me one, <laughs> <laughs> which I definitely would because I'm not, I'm not a... Um, a PC guy by uh, by nature, so I desperately um, need some advice. So yes, um, please email me, Mike S at fxguide.com. I will owe you a favor. I'll record something or do something for you or do anything. Just uh, I need help. <laughs> okay, dear listeners, thank you so much. Uh, until next time, I'm so so sorry to those people that are listening from DNEG that feel like we've been unfair and mean. But um, thank you so much, guys. And uh, until next time, I'm Mike Simmel. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.